Hello, you're listening to Dear Reader, a book talk show featuring chatty librarians bringing you reading recommendations and a whole lot of book loving. I'm Justine Hanna, here with my fellow librarian and bibliophile Natalie Mason, and we're coming to you from Melbourne Library Service. Welcome, everybody. Today we're talking about Australian women writers, and we'd very much like to welcome our special guest today, Veronica Sullivan, the prize manager at the Stella Prize. Yay! Hello, Veronica. Hi, Natalie. Thanks so much for joining us today. Can you let our listeners know a little bit about the prize? The Stella Prize is an annual award for Australian women's writing, and it's $50,000 awarded to the best book of fiction or non-fiction by an Australian woman each year. And we're now in our fourth year, um, coming up towards this year's prize, which will be awarded on the 19th of April in Sydney. Very exciting. It and is. a decent money bag, too. Yeah, it's a really, it's a, we want it to be a, a life-changing amount of money and something that gives an author the most precious uh, thing of all for a writer, which is time to write. Mm. No, I love the Stella Prize. Big fans here already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. It's really great. I mean, it's been a really interesting three years um, of past winners in that they're all very different. And yep. I think that that's um, something that's really fantastic about the prize is that it spreads the net wide and, and including both fiction and non-fiction means exactly. that some unusual things come through. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And I find it to be a great reading list, certainly to encourage book club members and reading circle members if they're struggling with what to read. That sh- that long list mm. is... There are nothing but winners on there, in my opinion. I love the long list. And, you know, even though, of course, there's some that I'm like, oh, why wasn't that on there? Why didn't that make it? It's just great, though, to see the things that I've never, you know, picked up on in the past. So, you know, to to have that jog my TBR list and Mm. and put that up to the top of the pile is is really great. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really strong long list this year. Mm. And I agree. I've, I've been really enjoying discovering things. And I think some of the books we'll be talking about today fall into that category. Very much so. Absolutely. So, before we get started, we want to remind our listeners that we'd love to hear what you've been reading, so please do tweet us at melblibrary, that's at M-E-L-B-L-I-B-R-A-R-Y, with the hashtag Dear Reader. And don't forget, you can also download Dear Reader episodes at iTunes. You just need to search for Melbourne Library Service and subscribe. And all the books that we talk about on the show today will be listed in the show notes on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website, www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au. you find that on the Read page. All right, let's start straight away. Veronica, what is your first pick? Right, so my first pick is a book from this year's Stella Longlist. It's Six Bedrooms by Tegan Bennett Daylight, which is a collection of short stories. Um, They're stories about young women, teenagers, um, sort of women in their early 20s who still behave like teenagers. Um, So really looking at that pivotal coming-of-age time when you're in that liminal space between um, adolescence and adulthood. And they just have a really beautiful, um, frank appreciation for the messiness that that can entail. They're very Australian um, and and very much focusing on uh, that yeah what, the weirdnesses of, of growing up essentially. Um, and they're just they're so beautifully written. She spent a really long time between her last book and this collection and it really shows they're, they're very very refined stories but not in a, an obnoxious creative writing course sort of way, just in a very very readable but very clever and very beautiful um, style. So yeah, they're wonderful, wonderful stories. I love short story collections Mm. as well, just so you can dip in and out, but you can read them as a whole as well in a lot of instances. Absolutely. Mm. And I think that's what one of the things that is so good about this collection is that they really um, come together. There are a couple of stories that focus on one character at different stages in her life. Um, But even though they're all quite different and and each story is very strong, there's a real thematic um, sense of, of wholeness to this collection. Um, and also she's doing things that are slightly different. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of stories been written about young women at that age, um, but some of the ones in this book 
are really hitting on other anxieties of Australian society um, and, and using the perspectives of the young women to explore those. And, in fact, there's one story that I really wanted to talk about, which is the only one not told from the perspective of a young woman. It's actually told through the eyes of a young man. And he's a, a teenage boy growing up in a household that um, his father's uh, abusive to both his mother and him, and as is his older brother. So it's this really horrible, ugly um, environment emotionally. But you can see him kind of not knowing how to deal with that and also trying to and, and also perpetuating that um, on his own partner and being completely oblivious to the cycle. And it's just I haven't really read anything that gets in there and, and shows you um, from from an abuser's perspective, but also from an abused person's perspective, um, what how, how that dynamic can operate. It sounds very grim. And that story in particular is is quite grim, but it's also there's so much insight there that it's really, really compelling as well. So I think that that one in particular just shows you how, how smart she's being and recognising that young people often can see things that adults don't necessarily see in the same ways. Uh, so that's Six Bedrooms by Tegan Bennett Daylight. Fabulous. Beautiful. Well, Justine, my turn. Okay, so my first pick is The Women's Pages by Deborah Adelaide. So this is the author's fourth novel, and it's a story within a story of a contemporary woman writing a novel about a woman in the 1960s who's forging an independent life. This was really a slow burn of a novel for me. I actually chose it. This is terrible to admit. I'm a librarian. I chose it based on the cover. <laughs> There's no shame in choosing a book by the cover. Why do you think they have covers? I, well, exactly. And they put such a lot of effort into it. And in fact, Absolutely. the author the author actually had quite a lot of input into this cover, I might add. Um, so I, I'm quite proud of it in the end. Um, and it, But it's quite ironic because in the end, I, I ended up reading it as an e-book because all the physical copies in the library, when I went to borrow it, were all on loan. I was like, no, I need to read it. So happily, I found it on our Belinda Borrowbox e-library, which is great, and I definitely recommend it to anybody out there. Um, but to the book. So the main character, Dove, has been gripped by a need to write since she read Wuthering Heights, her mother's favourite book, whilst her mother was dying. She has vivid dreams about her character, whose name is Ellis, which happens to be Emily Bronte's pseudonym when she wrote Wuthering Heights. Mm-hmm. And she just has this need to write uh, write these dreams out, write the you know this story out. She also has vivid dreams about about Emily Bronte herself, and these are much harder for her to understand and, and also a little bit for the reader as well. So the chapters are split between those of Ellis, who is a young married mother in the 60s when we meet her, and her life and choices, and then those of Dove, the narrator, and the, the, who is the contemporary woman in the story. So we learn slowly about each of these characters and the events in their lives that have shaped them, and honestly, at first, I found myself preferring to read about Dove. I um, I liked mm. her reminiscences about her childhood and university years. Uh, and then we have the chapters about Ellis and she's baking and contemplating her marriage and her child. And it's like, Meh, it wasn't really holding my interest. But then as I kept going, um, Ellis started discovering herself and feminism. And she basically, she just became a much more complex and interesting character to me. And I found myself really drawn in. And I think... Um, um, having got to the end, I looked back on it and went, ah, oh, what I might have been picking up on too was the the sort of the ties that were there that were slowly seeping into the story between the two characters. Um, above all else, it's a story about women, about dying and absent mothers, about mothers and daughters, about the choices a mother might make. 
It's not a book that judges. Um, it doesn't ask the reader to judge. Uh, and the ending, whilst it made perfect sense, um, kind of stopped the story when I found it the most interesting. So I was a little bit sad about that. Mm. I found myself thinking about that story a long time after I finished it. I'm still thinking about it, um, about how much of a book is the writer's and how much is the reader's imagination. It's one of those stories that actually got under my skin as well. And I'd, so I did a little bit more uh, reading about the author than I would normally do. And that's why I know she had a lot more input into the cover. And also, <laughs> So um, as a side note, Deborah Adelaide also did her PhD on Australian women writers. So I suddenly feel it's all a bit meta. <laughs> <laughs> so that was The Women's Pages by Deborah Adelaide. Do you think a reread would uncover some more layers Absolutely. for you or help you piece it together? Uh, I piece it together, not a problem, but certainly I think a reread would definitely uncover a lot of those layers a little earlier. Yeah. But I'm not ready for yet. Okay. I'm not ready yet. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll be interested to read it myself and then we can compare Absolutely. Notes. I love that. That's one on the, sh- on the long list I haven't read. How about one that I have read? That <laughs> sounds great. Natalie, okay. go for it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to talk about The Other Side of the World by Stephanie Bishop published in 2015, as all long-listed books are, Mm. um, for the Stella Prize. It's the second book by Stephanie Bishop. She's a Sydney writer. Uh, So you've got two main adult characters and two children. I'll tell you a bit about it. Uh, Charlotte is a painter and a mother, and she's pregnant with her second child. Henry is her husband. He is an academic and a father. Their baby is Lucy, and the book takes place between the years of 1963 and 1966. Um, Charlotte has stopped painting since Lucy was born and Charlotte finds herself rather uh, unhappy with motherhood or perhaps unprepared for motherhood. Um, She becomes withdrawn, she's exhausted and she's really struggling. Um, Henry wants to make sunshine and rainbows pop out of their very bleak Cambridge (laughs) kind of weather. Um, So he suggests they move from the UK to Australia after a pamphlet was delivered to their home promising, you know, sunshine and rainbows and happiness. (laughs) And Charlotte does not want to move. That's pretty much the basis there. Their second daughter is is born. Her name is May. And eventually they move to Perth, um, where they both find themselves rather unhappy. Uh, Henry's mother becomes ill and he returns to India to see her and it leaves Charlotte alone struggling in Perth with two young children. Um, Charlotte really loses herself at that time. Um, the demands and the needs of her children kind of uh, become her day-to-day reasons for getting out of bed and reasons for doing anything and she really has lost her painting and her desire to be creative. Um, Her and Henry are very unable to communicate with each other Um, and I found... (laughs) I found something quite striking about this book is there's very little dialogue and that's potentially because these two adults just cannot speak to each other. But also when they do, it's this real, it's almost like they're unspeaking the words they're saying because there's so much meaning in everything that they say that if this was a TV show, it would have no dialogue, just a series of looks. And all of that emotion, all of that kind of inability to express themselves would be expressed on their faces so that was hard not being able to see them in some ways so uh, I'm ready for the movie (laughs) (laughs) potentially a silent movie but still Um, the thing that I loved most about this book is how vividly the natural world was described so much of the internal uh, kind of feelings of the characters was certainly under the microscope but what was painted in luscious detail was the natural world and um the book takes place in three very distinct 
locations, uh, Cambridge, and the, you know the words used to describe Cambridge are like woods, grass, pond, brambles, mist, cold, fen, which I had to look up. A fen <laughs> is a low and marshing or low marshy or frequently flooded area of land. So that's uh, that's a new word in my vocabulary. Good to know. I don't Very know. British. I don't know when I'll use it, but I certainly have it now. Um, Perth is described as wild, hot, dry, stifling, flat, scorched, and then really Australian words like weatherboard, wisteria, eucalyptus. Um, And then in India, which is a real change of pace, the book kind of takes a really, you know, a literal detour when he goes to India. Um, You know, monsoon, wide sky, low sun, slums, rice paddies, huts, etc. The book itself, the more I think about it, reads actually as a painting. So it describes moments spent among nature and then it re-describes those same moments as Charlotte has a memory of the UK where she longs to be. And it's almost as though you know, when you paint something, you'll often go over a section with a new colour or add a new layer, certainly with oils. And all I kept visualising as Charlotte re-described these memories and this longing for home was somebody painting another layer and then another layer. And so it just became, it became a painting. The book became a painting. I can't explain it any better than that. Have you guys read it too? Yeah, I love your description of it as a painting. I think that's so beautiful. Did you feel that though? Yeah, well now in retrospect, I'm like, that that kind of <laughs> Yeah, beautifully summarises it. I want to see this painting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope it comes to life for you too. Um, It's called The Other Side of the World by Stephanie Bishop. Veronica, will you talk to us about your second book? Yeah, absolutely. So my second book is another one from the Stella Longlist, surprise, surprise, Um, (laughs) and it's Hope Farm by Peggy Frew. Um, So this is a novel about a 13-year-old girl named Silva who has grown up um, with her mother Ishtar on a series of communes, ashrams, um, hippie houses in the early 80s. And the novel starts as they move to a new place called Hope Farm, um, a new commune which is hopefully going to be this, you know, wonderful answer to all of their um, nomadic lifestyle. And and it's not. um, It's not really spoiling much to say that. Um, they, they've gone there because Ishtar's got a man um, and Silva is kind of left to her own devices um, and there's a, it's, a, it's a very, um, it's kind of that, the idea of Eden fallen. It's, it's, you know, what could have been um, all the adults with their fabulous ideals of, of you know, um, communal living and the reality um, that disappoints so this is, a, as with the previous book, this is a coming-of-age story and it's really about this, this teenage girl who's starting to realise that um, adults don't have the answers and that this is a time of change for her and that she's going to have to do something different. Um, it's a very beautiful description of the Australian landscape and the kind of ferocity of the Australian landscape, which I like a lot. Um, that's Those are the descriptions of Australia that I really gravitate towards, are the ones that acknowledge the light and the shade there. And Silva's a really compelling character. She's very much an outsider, often a silent observer, um, but very perceptive, uh, while the kind of machinations of the adults around her um, are unravelling and she's gradually starting to realise that there's this whole darkness um, happening under the surface. It's a really, really impressive book. It's just, um, Peggy Frew's second novel mm. and... I think that she's got a remarkable um, voice and I'm really excited. I think she's got probably a long career ahead of her. She's fairly young Mm. um, and this is like a very, very assured second novel. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's Hope Farm by Peggy Frew. That sounds great. Yeah, Right up my alley. The cover is stunning, Justine. Yeah, it's beautiful. Ah. (laughs) We can certainly judge this one by the cover too. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I just was really um, surprised, not not because I didn't expect it to be good, but kind of blown away by by how outstanding it is Mm. and... 
I, you know, it's not something that I've read a lot about. There's in terms of that that environment of the commune, and I think it's mm. such a rich, it's so rich for exploration. It's just, you know, it's a place outside of the ordinary uh, rules of society. There's so much you can do there in terms of fictional exploration and boundary pushing, and she really does all that without sensationalising, without kind of doing it to be salacious. Mm. It's a really beautiful book. So my next pick is Panthers and the Museum of Fire by Jen Craig. Uh, another confession to make, I just liked the title. <laughs> I, had, I had no idea what it was about. There's no shame in choosing books <laughs> for any of those reasons. I know, honestly. and I'm, I'm not ashamed at all. And I'm, in fact, I'm really, really glad. And sometimes those books that you pick just because, yes. for whatever reason, can turn out to be really great reading experiences as this one was. Um, also, I feel like my two picks were, are quite tied together because they both talk about in in some fashion or other about writing and about writers. So somehow they've actually had these connections given that I did little to no reading about them (laughs) to start off with. So Panthers in the Museum of Fire by Jen Craig. So um, the title actually has nothing whatsoever to do with the content (laughs) of the story. Um, It's a novella, really, because it's quite short, about walking, about memory and about writing, as I said. So the narrator walks from Glebe in New South Wales um, to a central Sydney cafe to meet the sister of a childhood friend who has passed away. This childhood friend left behind a manuscript which Jen was asked to read and then didn't read, but once she was asked not to read it but to return it two days later, she absolutely went ahead and read it. (laughs) And she just sounds so much like me. (laughs) Maybe that explains why I enjoyed it so much. So this reading of the manuscript, um, she read it and then she read it another couple of times. She stayed up all night reading it and it led her to what uh, she calls a breakthrough, which we as the reader understand to mean she started to write again. Um, the story is really meandering and digressive while she walks. So we're, we're reading this story, which is basically her thoughts as she walks to uh, meet this sister of her um, friend who's passed away. So while she walks, we enter her entire world, her life from childhood up with family, with her neighbours, with the sis- uh, the friend, uh, the friend's family. Um, it's really digressive in the sense that she's reminisc- reminiscing about her childhood and then she's narrowly missing getting hit by a car and we hear about that as well. And then we uh, hear about her friendships, about dinner conversations, about work. We learn about her adolescent desire for maturity and acceptance um, through a brush with religion that was actually brought about through this sister of her childhood friend that she's about to meet. We learn about her anorexia and the exercise of the power she had through the anorexia when she was powerless in every other aspect of her life. And I found that part really quite interesting and and very powerful to read about. I couldn't put this book down. Um, It's a really different style to what I'm used to reading, but quite brilliant, I thought, in how the everyday reflections of a human mind were presented to us. And I I found myself thinking, yes, this is how I think when I'm walking and stuff is just coming into my head and then the stuff that's happening right now is in my head, but then I'm thinking again about that thing that I was thinking about. So it's really um, a novel that spirals around the thought process and the writing process process and the way that we remember things. It never really pauses for breath. 
It keeps babbling on. And I think it's a story you need to read in one sitting. It's only 130 pages. And I feel like if you put it down, you'd completely lose the flow of it and you'd need to start again. Um, I also actually used to live in New South Wales near the Blue Mountains. And the title, Panthers in the Museum of Fire, actually refers to it. And she talks about it in, in the story, refers to a sign leading to two places of possible interest to travellers. Two places that I actually know a little bit about myself because I used to live near them. And I didn't realise at all by the, by the title um, what, what it was about. It could have been about anything. Um, and then after reading it, I was like, oh, I know these places that she's talking about. So it had a real um, mm. impact on me and, and on my memories as mm. well. And it got me thinking. Um, I thought it was a highly original in its style. I don't think it'll be for everybody, but it certainly impressed me. So that is Panthers and the Museum of Fire by Jen Craig. Natalie, I think it's your go. <laughs> yes, sorry, I'm too busy listening and not, <laughs> not preparing to myself to talk. Um, the second book I'm going to choose today is also from the Stella Prize long list. Does that mean all six of the books we've talked about yeah. today has been, have all been from the long list? We've covered half the long list. We that's, have. That's uh, no small feat. Uh, speaking <laughs> of small, it's in the title of this book. <laughs> Segway. <laughs> We're terrible with segues. We really are terrible with segues. We need a Segway writer. <laughs> Um, I'm, I would like to talk about Small Acts of Disappearance by Fiona Wright. Um, this is an essay collection by a Sydney poet and writer and uh, it was described in a review on the Readings website as a memoir of her eating disorder, which is a really interesting way to kind of posit what this book um, is about. Uh, it covers a substantial period of Fiona's life um, while she's studying at university, living in Sri Lanka, living in Germany, and it puts us readers inside her therapy and her other treatment sessions uh, in Sydney when she returns home. Um, Fiona's writing is restrained and powerful and I found that she said quite a lot without saying very much. She's very economical with her words. Um, but I also felt like she was keeping me at arm's distance uh, from the things that she was experiencing. But I also felt though she was keeping herself at arm's length from the things that she was experiencing. It was almost as though she was outside herself watching herself experience this kind of... Um, uh, this eating disorder, this addiction, this disease that she was struggling with, um, it was almost as though she was reporting back um, to people about what was happening with herself. She writes um, in a way that is the opposite of sentimental. <laughs> She's quite detached. Um, it's almost as though she watched that entire experience happen to somebody else. It's probably a better way of describing it. Um, I really enjoyed the parts of the book where she talks about other writers that write about eating disorders, addictions, anorexia, bulimia, um, like Christina Stead and Tim Winton and Jennifer Egan as well. Um, uh, Fiona writes these really vivid descriptions of hunger and control and addiction illness but also wellness and how those two are sometimes interchangeable um, when you're on the path to getting better or recovering from anything that illness and wellness are kind of friends almost and they need to be in order to to kind of get through a struggle of any kind with one's own health um, in summary it was difficult to read but also it's something that we don't talk about enough with our girlfriends, quite frankly. Mm. Um, and I think we've all struggled with a mirror at one time in our lives and I think if there was more conversation about it, there might be less struggle and we'd be able to support each other a bit better. So I found it really quite moving. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I really did. 
Yeah, I think it's a really incredible collection as well. And what you say about talking about these things, I think the problem to me is that often people talk about it in the wrong way, or they talk about it. They talk about their their weight or their health or their eating habits um, as a charade. And I think yep. that what Fiona's doing is stripping that away. And it's, it is hard to read because it's she's showing you her her flaws and herself and it's it's so raw yeah it's really open but closed at the same time mm. I don't know how to better explain that kind of distance that I felt as a reader yeah. but I certainly felt like I was getting an insight into some very personal aspects of her life I didn't think that she was hiding anything but I don't know maybe it's just a, a particular style of writing well maybe it's just too hard mm. well I think she slips between um, like memoir, academia, she does. reportage and that yeah. kind of, those different modes necessarily have different layers and different levels of distance. Maybe that's what I was picking up on. Yeah. It sounds fascinating. It's definitely one of the ones I'm looking forward to reading. Yeah, because I would I, highly yeah. recommend it. Really, I'm, I'm loving nonfiction and especially the memoir at the moment as well. Yeah. So, yeah, and it sounds just really interesting. Mm. Yeah. And it's the only nonfiction book on this year's shortlist. Is it truly? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Len is definitely on the top of my list. <laughs> <laughs> it just got bumped higher up. Good, as it should. So that was Small Acts of Disappearance by Fiona Wright. Wow, that is a really quick conversation we've all just had, isn't it? It felt quick. It, it felt, felt like quick. it's gone really quickly. It was oh. just so much fun you know, chatting with you all. Um, but uh, we have to come to an end. But before we do, Veronica, what are you going to read next? So once I've finished all my Stella Longlist reading, <laughs> um, I'm really excited to get to an Australian debut by a young woman writer, um, and it's called Our Magic Hour by Jennifer Down. Um, she's young, she's from Melbourne, and the book has been sort of described as this generation's monkey grip or praise or one of those gritty um, stories about Australian young adults. Uh, and I've been following her for a while. She writes regularly for Overland. She seems to win every short story competition going and she's just an incredibly impressive writer who's obviously really honed her craft um, at a very young age and has a very confident voice. So I'm, I'm extremely excited to read that. Um, it's Our Magic Hour by Jennifer Down. Lovely. Sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm going to have to look into it. <laughs> Natalie? Um, oh, my two-read pile is enormous. I can't think what is on there. Everything is on there. Oh, I almost should alphabetise it. There's so many books on there at the moment. You're such um, a librarian. Oh, well, I really... <laughs> now I want to read Hope Farm, actually. It's not a cop-out because it's not on the list, but... I mean, it's not in the pile, but it's on the list. You Hope... can add to the pile. Oh, yeah, you can always add. <laughs> Why not? It's not as tall as me. So there you go. I can There's a goal. That's a, that's a really good part of that. <laughs> I'm a pretty short person, but... <laughs> I want a photo when that pile reaches head height. <laughs> it's only a few books away. Yes. Justine? All right, well, I'm going to read a book that I've heard a little bit about but don't really know much about. It's called Leap, and I'm going to get the author's name wrong, Mithanwi Jones. Mithanwi. Did I say it right? Yep, Mithanwi. Oh, I'm so glad I said it right. Um, it sounds really interesting uh, for the little bit that I've known about it. So I believe it's um, it's about grief and loss. So that, well, I don't know why that's interesting, but anyway, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give that one a go. Do you know what's amazing about that book? What? The cover. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, great. <laughs> well, that's the important thing. Good to know in advance. <laughs> 
Well, uh, I think that's our show. You can read our show notes, including a list of the books we discussed on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au on the Read page. And we'd also love to hear from you. Please tell us what you've been reading or ask us for a reading recommendation. You can tweet us at melblibrary, that's M-E-L-B-L-I-B-R-A-R-Y, and use the hashtag DearReader, or you can join the conversation on our Goodreads page. And don't forget, you can download episodes of Dear Reader, past and present at our iTunes account by searching for Melbourne Library Service and you can subscribe that way as well. I'd also like to mention the glorious music on our program is by Mr Ben Mason. Thanks, Ben. Check out more of his music at www.benmason.com.au and a big, huge, amazing thank you to Veronica Sullivan for being our special guest today. Yay! Yay! Thanks, Justine. Thanks, Ellie. <laughs> Will you come back next year? I would love to. Yay! <laughs> We're already thinking about next year. Don't, don't even. Don't even go there. So until next time, dear reader, thanks for listening.